listening to Tarot Visions. You lucky devil. Hey, Jamie. Hey, Rose. How's it going? Not bad. How was your November? Oh, man. It was good. Um, like I was saying last week, I ate a lot of stuffing. I actually had three to four different types of stuffing. One savory type, which was pretty good. There was a hybrid between cornbread and savory, and then two different types of cornbread stuffing. One of them my friend makes, which is really, really good. It's got like apples and stuff, and the other one had beet in it. So yeah. And then of course, I finished Nano. So I wrote 50,000 words. Um, Yay! Book technically isn't done yet, so I got to find pockets this month to be able to try and finish it. But I did the thing and have not broken a streak. But it was good. It was it was tiring. Spent some time with my partner. She took last week off and everything. So it's been good. How about you? Didn't finish the Nano. Still working on it, however, which is good. Uh, plugging away at it because, again, wanna, it, the whole point was to sit butt and share and didn't do that enough because, well, life, that does happen. Um, had a great Thanksgiving. Got to spend it with the family, of course. <sighs> then this week has been a whirlwind of wonder and, and amazement. So I was like, oh, we need to record a, a podcast, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> so we usually do first and the third, huh? Yeah, well, we put it out the first and the third, yes. So I was trying to figure out, you know, what do we want to talk about? There's so much things out in the world that we could discuss. And so I figured, why don't we see if we could get one of our favorite occultists to come in and chat with us? Mm. And I think we reached out to them and, and they were very, yes, what do you want? We'll go, maybe, we'll see. <laughs> but really, they were uh, gracious and said, I have a few minutes. Do you want to chat? And then they proposed a wondrous topic. And I love this topic. This is going to be fun for you listeners. So see if we can summon the great and wondrous Benabel Wen. Uh, what's the best way we should do this? I mean, I've got candles lit. I've got chocolate in the other room because I'm sure chocolate is always a good thing. Yes. All right. And I guess we just do. We yeah. Hum? Let's let's own or something, right? I mean, that's that's something occult people do, right? They they raise energy or something. Or something. Okay. All Ready? right. Ready? One, two, three. Oh, Annabelle. I am here, but bless I was more than happy to be on Tarot Visions. I was an eager beaver to be on. Blasphemous and slanderous. You, Rose. We are very grateful for that. We, we, we know that you have a, a plethora of time, though, and things that you are creating and putting out into the world. So we're actually very grateful that you had a few minutes, if not a lot of minutes, to spend Thank with us. Thank you for having me. So you brought up a great topic, everyday tarot versus occult tarot. And I think I lean more towards the everyday tarot, but I was wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing what your definition of occult tarot is versus everyday tarot, just to make sure that we are both on the same page. I'm also, well, first of all, I'm a proponent of both, for sure. I think, you know, to be well-rounded, you should be, you know, well-versed in both and have a sense, be able to navigate both fluidly. But, you know, for today's purposes, I'm going to be a huge proponent and advocate of the occult tarot and get really nasty about it and very dogmatic <laughs> just for shit. But exoteric general everyday tarot, I think of as being having the potential to be popularized. And it's for everyday use. It's for the general public. I think occult tarot, esoteric tarot, by its very definition, means it's only for the selected few or only for a very like limited number of purposes. You know, it's something that not, it's never by definition going to become popular. Um, I think of everyday tarot 
Tarot as using the deck for self-reflection, fortune telling, or even approaching it with an intuitive based uh, sensibility. Whereas I think occult tarot, you're going to be talking about ritual magic and divination as opposed to fortune telling, and also really deep diving into the symbology of the deck to look at the theological, philosophical, and mythological implications of these symbols on the actual cards. I think that's perfect. I mean, before we started talking, I went up and I figured, well, let's start with defining what occult means, which to me, if you had a look in my head in my dictionary, it would mean secrets or supernatural stuff, which is kind of on point with the idea that occult tarot is more for a select few because they're doing, like you said, deep dives into the mystery or the secrets behind how that deck was composed. And it's also kind of more of a supernatural event where a lot of the old Western mystery sciences as because I know more about them than like the Eastern occult practices, went to that depth of trying to define God in certain ways, whether it was a Christian or a Catholic version of a God, because they were still pretty tied back then. So that's how I always have seen the occult kind of side of tarot being the deep dives, the path working, applying the Kabbalah onto it, the more weirder stuff that we tend to associate tarot with rather, and doing, you know, rituals. Although for me, ritual spans both both sides where you can do tarot, everyday tarot rituals. But with the occult, I've always seen it as really kind of getting into the meat of where it came from and really kind of, I don't know, almost being that dogmatic of thou shalt with the cards type of proponent. So Rose, does that kind of jive with what you were thinking? You both have a mix of what I was thinking, to be fair. For me, I think the occult in general versus the occult tarot, because I I kind of think tarot is a cult, period, the end, outside of the everyday. But when it comes to, you know, how you use tarot, I see that is more everyday versus occult usage, which again, used in ritual, used in casting of spells, and that sort of thing would kind of go into the occult version. And then the everyday is like, pull a card to see what your day is going to be like. Do a spread to find out, you know, I have a question, I need a little more facilitation on that. So I think that's how it breaks down for me. And yeah, there's the philosophies, but I see those kind of on both ends. But again, if you're going to go back and history, tarot is more occultish, not everydayish, in the definitions that we've described, I think. Arthur Waite specifically really wanted that because, again, he felt, from what I've read, he's felt that it is more not for the masses to know, but only for select few. If Waite was around, Benabelle, what do you think he would say to all this? And especially with it being more popularized and being in pop culture and mass media. Oh, well, I don't want to speak on his behalf, but I think in terms of who is the tarot for, if, you know, I was presumptuous enough to speak on his behalf in terms of that, I do think he sees it as two sides of the same coin where, you know, it is for everyday uses. There is an aspect of the tarot for the masses, which is why he was such a proponent of hidden in plain sight. But for those who want to dig deep into it and see the other side, it's also there. So the other side of the coin is fully inscribed if you want to go there. But if you don't and you want to stay on the single side of the coin, that's fine too. So it kind of has that dualistic purpose. And I think that's intentionally how a lot of these quote unquote esoteric tarot decks are. Because, you know, before that, there's also the legacy of tarot as a playing card 
heart attack. So, you know, there's all of these sort of nuances in terms of the uses and purposes of a tarot deck. But to dovetail on what Rose said earlier, I do think it does bring up some good questions. Like, you know how Jamie was talking about how occult tarot is maybe more supernatural. But then where would you categorize, not to bring up her name again, but like Dorian Virtue or Colette Baron reed or like when you get into mediumship and or, 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 or um, angel work with tarot. But you know how there's different styles, shall we say, different styles and approaches to angel work and tarot. How does that get diced between everyday tarot and occult tarot? That's a great question because again, and I, we are going to talk of, of Dorian Virtue in the past when she was kind of on our team. We're going to play Honey, that she card was for never right on now, your folks. Team. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I meant our as in the tarot community. Yes, I agree with that statement. Um, but my point, though, is that, you know, she created all these decks. Yes, I'm sure it was from a financial perspective, but also ones that worked with the intent to make tarot accessible to people who weren't necessarily craft people who were just regular, hey, I'm going to church and here's the thing. And oh, look, here's an angel deck, but it's also got tarot images in it they could have that crossover because again tarot was still back in you know renaissance italy was used by people who were very much part of the catholic church i think she was trying to speak to that crowd if you will the ones who were still interested in the tarot but were still trying to figure out where the line was for themselves she fed that audience i think in good ways and in not so great just ways. a random historical and social commentary here is i actually think a lot of the abrahamic faiths have gotten a lot more extremely conservative in the 21st century if you go back to reading you know late 18th to early 19th century texts first of all in terms of what is christianity what is god like it really ran the entire gamut. There's a lot of Gnostic beliefs. I actually think you would probably co-sign off of. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, there's just a lot of interpretations to Christianity and who is God. And, and some of it even runs into the realm of pantheism. You know what I mean? So it, it's very, very interesting. And also, if you talk about Islam, I think, you know, just 50, 60 years ago, even a lot of the Muslim countries were a lot more liberal, a lot more open-minded, more about separating church and state. Whereas Islam today has gone more conservative in the same exact way Christianity has gone more conservative. So I don't know. I just thought that was a very interesting turn. Well, and you're right, because back then, every religion that I've ever kind of taken an interest to kind of read books about, and I can post links on Facebook about some of those because I can't remember the names off the top, but they've always had like their religion aspect, like how do you worship? How do you uh, wash your hands? You know, the code of conduct on how you're supposed to act back way back when, because they didn't have a lot of the sciences or technology that we have today. But every single one of them also had an occult kind of branch, uh, like you said, a Gnostic thing where God was present in their life, but they could also have and do magical things with God. I mean, the, if you look at the Bible, the Bible's filled with magic, walking on water, parting the ocean, making wine out of water, you know, all these things, those are occult supernatural definitions. So back then, it seemed like they had the branch of what we consider conservative Christianity or Catholicism or Judaism, but they also had their occult team where I mean, that's why we have Kabbalah, especially the Jewish Kabbalah, because they have those deeper, interesting learnings or like the numerology behind the Bible, where sect of religious numerology that, you know, you look at every word in the Jewish written Bible, you break it down numerically, and then you define the numbers according to their intent. Like Yahweh has its own number, Satan has its own number. Gematria, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, the Gematria stuff, which to me is fascinating. So there is still, people forget about that, that there is still that magic. There is that pagan or what we consider pagan these days, you know, so everything kind of has that dual nature of here's what you do in the everyday life. But here, if you want to dig deeper and go pursue, you know, if you like math, here's the numerics you can do, or here's the divination practices you can do. Yeah, and tarot has always reflected the social conditions of its time and space. And so I think, I, actually, I wonder if what we're seeing in terms of the landscape, landscape of how people use the tarot today, how that reflects society today. Have you guys had any thoughts on that? Like in terms of how people use it for everyday uses versus people's dogma when it comes to occult tarot? What do you see? I've seen kind of both. I mean, for one thing, the fact that we have computerized decks, you know, that definitely reflects the culture where I know, I know Rose has more. I have at least three tarot decks on my phone. I think she's got a little bit more. You know, we can email each other. I mean, the fact that we're talking tarot, everyday tarot and occult tarot here out in the open. On a podcast. On a podcast that everybody's listening. And as we're recording this, all these, you know, wavelengths are being beamed down to space where if there are aliens or other civilizations, they might even be listening in onto us. But yeah, you know, it's, there's so much out there and there are things that we still don't know. Even with all the sciences, they just discovered that new black hole that is so big, it shouldn't exist. Wow. So I think the more we learn, the more we don't know. Yes. But I also think that, that the way that divide of what modern people think of as as the tarot and what the, how they use it is very divided, as as Benabel I think was trying to bring up, and I've seen it becoming more accessible to people, and still becoming just a lot of people trying to make it more sacred, um, who have been in the community quote unquote longer. But you've got this whole generation who are YouTube people who they share it with everyone. It's kind of a common thing. And then, of course, with the modernization of people being more accepting of occult practices, air quotes on that, um, you know, you're seeing things like tarot decks in a Sephora. And that's a whole nother conversation regarding the marketing on that. But the point, though, is that nobody blinked an eye about the fact that it was there. People just didn't love the way it was being presented or, you know, those kind of things. And there's where the intricate bits come out where people are nitpicking about, well, what type of thing is it? What kind of thing are they pushing? I heard more like the pagan community being more upset about that than anybody else, which was kind of the other funny part is because it's like, oh, that's ours. What are you doing? Give it back kind of thing. Don't, don't touch our stuff. Uh, attitude. And it was kind of like, why not normalize it, I guess, is a better way to put it. But then... Which has always been what we wanted. We've always wanted the normalization, or at least, you know, those of us like me and maybe you, Rose, have been like, I want every, I want to share tarot with everybody. I want everybody to have cards. I'm giving you the stink eye a little bit. <laughs> Which is interesting because, you know, again, going back to the Sephora thing, I never saw it in the store and I was kind of interested in looking for it just to see what they did. Because again, it's a new technology. It's a new way to invite people into play on a possibly everyday tarot slash makeup. I actually found the controversy interesting and, and, and almost silly. And the reason for that is because we were comparing apples and oranges, you know? I think the reason we get into these debates is because we don't have this clear definition in our own minds of everyday uses for the tarot versus occult tarot. 
So I think what's happening is you're seeing, I'm just going to use the word because I can't think of a more PC, like fluffy. Like if you see a fluffy um, presentation of the tarot, you know, you're expecting it to be a cult and then you're criticizing it for that. You're criticizing an orange for tasting like an orange rather than tasting like an apple, right? And so I think that's why having that clear understanding of tarot being versatile and having different uses, then you no longer get into these, I'm so offended by this particular use or representation of the tarot because you understand, well, this is an everyday presentation of the tarot. It's not a cult. It's for the mass consumption. And this over here is a cult tarot. Therefore, we can criticize it within the context or critique it within the context of the occult. I think everyday tarot is a gateway drug, so to speak, to the occult tarot, because A, once you buy a deck, you kind of want to see all the other arts. You kind of become a collector, at least the surface, to find, ooh, what else? Or, ooh, I haven't seen that deck. God damn it, I need to buy that and add it to my collection now. But there are other decks out there, even the ones that we deem fluff, that we decide we want to do a deep dive or a deep study with them. And at that point, to me, it's like, yeah, take your um, Enchanted Forest tarot or your Shadowscapes tarot and turn that into an occult working deck because you dive deep. They're not fluffy. They're wonderful. <laughs> they're, they're accessible. I know. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You know, people would probably say, I love those decks. So do I. There are some, I, I especially love the Enchanted Forest. I spent two months working with that deck recently, doing pathworking with it. And it's a brilliant pathworking deck, which we've talked about in previous episodes. But I'm just saying you can turn these everyday tarot things into the occult. No, no, no. Because I was going to say, I have a better example that looks like a fluffy deck, but isn't. And that would be the Gummy Bear Tarot or uh, the Hello Kitty Tarot. Those can come across as being fluffy. Still offended. <laughs> You're only half kidding. Hello Kitty is not fluffy. Exactly. Yes. Okay. But see, that's my point is that you know that that's true. But Mrs. Smith next door might just go see, oh, Hello Kitty. My kid loves that. Yes, I will give them that deck. And I think that's the other thing Jamie's point was, is like we as tarot readers, like look at the art on a Shadowscapes deck and go, oh my God, it's gorgeous. Oh my God, I could pull cards from it every day and do an everyday reading. Or I can take that and then find the the hidden magic that is in that deck, for example. It's not fluffy at all. We love you, Stephanie. We do. We really love you, Stephanie. Steph already knows that my loving room is kind of a shrine to her. I've got all of her art in my house and it's kind of weird and awkward. And But yeah, I mean, even like the crystal unicorn deck. Again, you know, as I'm looking at Rose and she's got her little unicorn headset on here, people go, oh yeah, it's fluffy. You've got, you know, unicorn horns that light up and do things. But yet her deck has some magic. She is a unicorn herself. Pamela is a unicorn. She's got magic and power behind her and it works. Plus with all the crystals on and everything, you can dive deep into crystal studies. So yeah, I mean, what we consider fluffy, me, I never thought I'd be a unicorn person, but apparently I needed that duck. Or even mermaids, Lisa Robertson's mermaid tarot. I didn't realize that was a duck I needed until she gifted me a copy. There is power in things. And there's a saying out there, like, don't yuck, yuck somebody's yum, yum, which is about, you know, like, don't laugh at, you know, things people like that you might find trite because pop culture magic is out there. It does work. And we have pantheons. Like, I'm sure Benabelle's pantheon has got Hello Kitty somewhere in it. <laughs> it's a secret. Oathbound. Where's the Bats Maru deck? That's what I want. 
But yeah, you know, don't yuck yuck somebody's yum yum because it's, you know, a gateway drug or it's a, an acceptable everyday tarot that can get them into learning deeper aspects, whether it is going back to the Rider Waite Smith or the Marseille deck or the Sola Busca or even taking them over to Italy to see the, the sacred lands that our tarot forefathers have gone for. Jamie has just blessed the tarot podcast, so we're all clear. You're performing magic right now. So what do you see, though, Benabelle? Have you been experiencing that clash of, or not clash, of intersection between occult and uh, everyday? Because again, you're very popular on the YouTubes. And yes, I did say it like an old person. Uh, the YouTubes are coming to get us. No, they're not. <laughs> so tell us more about what you've experienced and what you've been exposed to. Well, I agree with what you guys were saying. Um, having a, having tarot decks be as accessible as it is now, um, not it is a gateway. It'll at least it it makes it so a lot of people can explore inner spirituality and then eventually find their way into more occult purposes. Tarot. So I, I definitely see that. But just one of the, in terms of my personal experiences, one of the things that I found is once you do really want to dig deep into the occult aspects of the tarot, one of the troubles that I've had was trying to find my way back. And so after deep diving into the occult aspects of the tarot, a new struggle that I face as a person is figuring out how to return and return to an equilibrium and, and understand the everyday uses of tarot and just understand sort of the mundane. And, and you have to, you have to have that return. Return is a journey too, and you can't not make that return because then you're going to remain very disconnected from the world that you are actually physically a part of. So that was just something interesting that I learned that I didn't so it sounds like you took Persephone's journey and went from the spring goddess into the fall, into the underworld, spent some time in the underworld, and now have come back out with more knowledge, yes? <laughs> well, attempting to reintegrate. The reason I'm bringing it up is because I, I thought it was really interesting. No one, I've never heard anyone talk about that. Like, I've never heard people express that trouble of the journey returning back. I think there's tr a lot of truth in that, and you're right. I don't view myself as a true occultist. I mean, I'm no Aleister Crowley or any of the other greats, and I don't want to be, but I have taken, I've got a lot of, I've ta I take a lot of classes on Kabbalah, especially mixed in with tarot. Astrology, I've, shameless plug, I have bought your class. I haven't dug deep into it yet, but I, you know, I dabble with it, which makes me, you know, a little bit more knowledgeable, but also dangerous because I don't know how to apply it correctly. I'll just feel like, oh, Mercury's in retrograde. Ah! To me, that's power, but it's also dangerous because you don't fully understand the concepts. But when you do become kind of a quote, whatever the term master is in your own mind for when you do these deep dives, when you read all the weight and you try and pretend that you're him or you learn in his style and do it for X months or a year or however long you do and then come back out. Yeah, I mean, that changes you. Everything we do in life changes us from jobs to arguments we have to relationships. And that goes with the tarot, tarot readings, tarot spells, books that we read. It changes us. So how do we get back to an appreciation? You know, as, as a writer, sometimes I can't read for fun. You know, there are times where I read a book and I want to edit it because darn it, that English is wrong or something. This, you know, happens in both tarot books and in fiction books. So there is truth to that. How do we bring ourselves back? Sometimes for me, it's I let it sit on my shelf. Yeah, I mean, the great, a very great mundane example is as a writer, what if you are, you you dig deep into serious fiction writing, you know, you're studying Umberto Eco and Borges and you're reading The Greats, right? And Daide Meposan. And then you have to pick up, I don't know, Danielle Steele. If you are a true masterful writer, you will be able to find the merits and 
and the joy in any book. But then that return, you still, being able to do that is not so easy. And, you know, you can't stay in this sort of like high flu and looking down your nose because that doesn't actually make you high. That makes you not having learned any of the lessons you were supposed to have, to have learned. So it is a very difficult journey, even as a writer, to find the joy in like a lot of the sort of, you know, airport books as so what would you recommend people do since you have just, I'm going to guess, fairly recently experienced this for yourself? What was the things that you found worked? And yes, this is specifically for you. We know. I don't think I'm in a place yet to even be able to give advice. You know what I mean? Because I think that is still something I'm struggling with. So I don't even, I mean, in fact, I think I'm in a position where I would love to receive advice. <laughs> so I don't think I can offer anything at this time. Okay. No, I think that's fine too. And that's, you know, listeners, as you're hearing this, it's okay to sometimes feel like you're too steeped into something. Sometimes, you know, that can be a, a form of burnout. Like, you know, maybe you've done too much tarot readings for others or for yourself or written too many words on tarot and you just need to take a step back. For me, that's something I do whenever I feel like I'm on the edge of burnout is I'll unplug, whether it's digitally or tarot wise or book wise, I will maybe find the opposite where in tarot, I know this year has kind of been the year of the Oracle as the listeners have been hearing. Big, I've been buying more Oracles. I haven't really been playing with a lot of them yet, but I've been looking at building up Oracle decks to see what I can do with them and where is the occult slash every day in that, so to speak, because a lot of the times Oracle decks get the fluffy bunny treatment in some cases. So it's like, well, what can I do with those systems or do they have systems? So I'll you know, do the opposite thing, or I will just completely stop and just not do anything. I'll sit on the couch, I'll put on Netflix, I'll watch horror movies, just something that can just make me drool and not really think about the fact that I'm not working on projects or something, because you do need to, you know, give yourself that space. So that's probably my advice would be to unplug to just take a step back, a vacation, so to speak, and to figure out what's next. I would say get out and travel, get out and go to the ocean, go get into nature and avoid some of the other stuff. But again, that's still kind of a way to, to be connected to the occult too, because if you're that kind of person, yeah. you're going to then find the esoteric and the occult in what you're doing out in the world. But if you can tune up, turn out that connection on the card level and just absorb the calm that could come in that time and moment, that may help. I don't know. But I'm not in that space myself, so I can't really give you any advice other than suggestions of beautifulness of getting out into the ocean because, well, that's my favorite thing to do when I'm stressed out. Or do the uber crazy thing and go to Disneyland. That's another conversation. <laughs> Well, in terms of what Jamie was saying about Oracle decks, I think it depends, you know, there are a lot of um, interesting occult Oracle decks. I, I can't, what, what was it called? The, you know, the Korea Magicians Tarot deck by um, Josephine. That one is one, for example. But I think in terms of why Oracle decks get that reputation, um, you know, James, I always love because he gives me the opinion of what most people are really thinking, right? Like, you know, people who aren't in our world, what they really think, I can always get that out of him. And the thing is, you have to pay attention to that because a lot of times those are who you would be tailoring, tailoring your business to. Those are the people you're doing client readings for. So he says, you know, a tarot, you, you pull a bunch of tarot cards into a spread. He can't make heads or tails of it. He needs you to read it for him. You pull a bunch of Oracle decks. He kind of feels like, well, I can read it myself. Why, why do I need you? Like, you know what I'm saying? And so that's a really interesting point from a consumer perspective, from your client's perspective. And that's worth thinking about when working with Oracle decks versus tarot decks. It is. And partners that aren't into the everyday tarot or the occult tarot are perfect. Like, 
my partner, she'll do the whole, you know, I'm a magician. Look at me. I can pull cards and then, you know, do the fake thing where she looks at a card. Oh no, I don't like this card. I'm going to put this back and pull another one. But the stuff that she says about it is so spot on and so true that I really do pay attention to it because like you said, they are our intended audience for using our craft. I think you're both correct in using the way uh, oracles can be read as a little easier with everyday use and anyone, air quotes, can use them and they feel less intimidating because the structure is more loose. Um, I think they do have structures and I think oracle people need to be given a little bit more credit than they get because they've done something that doesn't have a structure and still made a product that made sense. There are some crazy oracle decks out there that I just like, I don't understand what the concept was, but somebody did, hence it is on the shelf. And that works too. And we just need to examine what is it that we sometimes as a cultists and tarot readers miss about oracles and we might not be as open-minded to them. So maybe that's a thing to, to look at and maybe it's something that, not that you should create an oracle deck, Benabelle, hey, not that you can't. <laughs> Yeah, and also, I've, I mean, like, I, I haven't made it secret either. I've been thinking about a Way of the Warrior Oracle deck, you know, working with Sun Tzu's Art of War and a couple of other um, texts related to Bushido and Warrior's Codes or Chivalry Codes. But my point is, you know, I think occult Oracle decks are definitely magic. And I think anybody who is truly working with the astral light, as it were, you can use any, and people say that all the time, and it sounds like, yeah, yeah, I know that, but it's, it's really true. Um, so I, I think Oracle decks fall in the same boat. You can use them for everyday uses. And I think they are a lot more palatable for a lot of people. A lot of Oracle decks are a lot more palatable for people, but they absolutely work in an occult context. You just need to be open-minded enough to do it. I mean, I said you can summon demons with Dorian Virtue's angel deck, so hey. Okay, I just want to see the ritual. That's all. I'm not saying that it can't be done. I'm just saying I want to see the ritual. <laughs> I love the stuff we come up with in these. I mean, I get so many brainstorm ideas just chatting with Benabelle. Every time it's like start generating lists of ideas and things. Granted, we've dissolved into giggles and stuff through this episode. But again, you know, whatever you do with tarot, it's what you want to do. It is your source of your magic in the everyday. And if you want to summon demons... Give it a shot. You know, there are great decks out there probably for it. Lots and lots and lots. And let me say that one more time. Lots of salt. And now we've made Benabelle laugh, so it's come full circle. Woo! Lots of salt. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> thank you both for, for indulging us in this. I'm speechless. <laughs> I'm like, okay. I have nothing to say after that. So on that note, uh, dear listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. And we look forward to hearing from you uh, in comments. And don't forget, there is a contest and a giveaway uh, to be had on the Facebooks. So please do join us there. Uh, the drawing will happen and the end winner will be announced in our next episode. Thanks again, Benabelle, for this. This has been awesome. listening to Tarot Visions, a podcast for the modern oracle. To keep the conversation going, find us on Facebook at Tarot Visions US or follow us on Twitter at Tarot underscore Visions. 